0: This week we finish up our sermon series as we look at one of Jesus' greatest miracles, which is raising someone from the dead. And we'll see how that has implications for us as we look and think about the resurrection. We see that we have a God who cares for us, and a God who steps into our shoes, and a God who makes things right. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, July 24th, 2016, We've got uh, we're continuing finishing up our sermon series as we talk about miracles at the gate. So the, the the idea behind this whole series we spent four weeks here with the miracles is that every miracle of Jesus showed Jesus power. Right? They're all essentially the same. I could have preached every week and said the end would have been the mic drop would have been Jesus has amazing power. Right? But we're really asking like with all this power, what does it actually mean for me? So that's what we're trying to figure out and. In the the process, we had a chance to look at a couple of different miracles from Jesus in the book of Luke. So, the first one was this miraculous catch of fish, which is somewhat amazing, I think, from different angles, right? So, have you ever tried to herd cats? That's a phrase. No, I I don't. What's it called if you try and get fish together? Like, certain animals are not very trainable. You could train, like... um, I'm trying to think of, like, pack animals or cows. You can kind of move them in the right direction. You can do that with sheep, and it, you can do that. But you can't really do that with, like, cats, right? You can't teach a cat, your house cat, to look at you like it cares. You can't teach it to do that. But you can you can teach certain animals. I don't think I'd put fish in that category. Has anyone met, like, a fish trainer? Don't say dolphins. They're mammals. That's not count. Right? So you can't do this. So I think the amazing miracle is here, in my mind at least. It's conceivable that these amazing fish just appeared, But in my mind, at least, Jesus kind of bent the laws of nature and had all the fish, a a large number of fish from the Sea of Galilee, go to one place so that they could catch them the wrong time of day in the wrong spot. It's a little bit different when we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. Because there, I think we're talking about, like, spontaneously food appearing, right? They only had a couple fish sandwiches. And my assumption is that we don't have, like... closed universe or something like that. So some guy's about to eat his fish sandwich like 30 miles away and then it like disappears because all these, you know like the kids movies when there's like the giant rocket ship with a giant magnet, have you ever seen that? There's only two things that kids movies have. One is like a giant laser or the other thing is a giant magnet. So they pull all these things up in the air. I don't think that's what happened. Like Jesus made like this uh, black hole in the universe and all the food appeared right there so we could distribute it. Instead we see Jesus' power and that he just multiplies food. The cool thing, I think the beautiful thing about that miracle is, A, we see Jesus' power, but we also get to see something that's kind of a truism for our own life, is that who had the food? The food was given by Jesus, and the disciples, he allowed to distribute that. And I think in in a similar way, we get to see that same thing happen in our life. God has given you certain gifts, and he's saying, you get to distribute, you get to fill people up with those uh, specific gifts. I think that's a um, at least a correlation. We wouldn't say that's an exact thing, and that's not Jesus' point. But we can pull that from them. Okay. Our last miracle. Uh, we're going to talk about death, and death's the worst, I think. And if you, you talk about power, um, someone asked me, "Do, do miracles? Uh, do miracles happen to everyone, or do we see miracles in this world, or why don't we see miracles?" I don't know if it actually. Just take this in the right way. I don't know if it matters that much. for a lot of miracles. So let's say you're sick with cancer. I'm going to make something up. You're sick with cancer. And uh, they say one in 100 people live from this cancer. You'd say that's good, right? You at least have some odds that there's a chance. But does it actually matter to you unless you're that one person? Like when you're dying, you're like, wow, at least one out of 100 is going to live. Like you don't care, do you? I mean, you ultimately want to know if this miracle is going to happen to me. And of all things, not every one of us is going to experience uh, cancer. We're not all going to experience deep hunger. We're not all going to experience like our job and having, uh, not being able to catch a bunch of fish. And So all those miracles are like a specific time, specific people. But there is one that we want to affect us, and I think that's death. Is there anybody here who has not been affected by death? Like No one. There's no even the littlest of kids have some understanding. Maybe it's their grandparents. My grandparents are no longer alive. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's uh, an aunt or uncle or a friend at school or someone they've heard of or their favorite actor or maybe it's their pet. You know, at some level. Um, and if they haven't experienced that, you should just get like a goldfish or something, so that at least they can know that life doesn't continue forever. And so I think in this level to understand if Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus means something. Because all these other things don't affect us necessarily, but death certainly does. And I think death, of all things, kind of pulls out and it lets us look inside ourselves to see kind of where we stand with stuff. Because do you like to talk about death? When I said we're going to talk about death, how many of you are like, yes! Anybody? (laughs) No, I mean, no one likes to talk about death. So what are some of the things, just think in your mind, you do to try not talk about death and not think about death? You're not alone in America. I mean, America, of all places... we we try and push off the idea that we're aging, right? So we dye hair or we try and look younger and we try and um, wear makeup and things like that. So when you're a little kid, you don't have to do that. But suddenly you age and you think, I I wish I looked a little bit younger. And it feels good when someone says you look young, right? Does that hide the fact that you're getting older? I mean, it's kind of like a double thing. You look young for your age, right? (laughs) For a person who's getting a lot older, you look young. Thank you, sort of. Um, So... We try and do that, or maybe we just don't even talk about it. And, and you say, well, that's not me. Have you ever, um, as you're getting older, maybe some of you are getting close to your 40s or 50s, and your siblings have to get together, and how many of you love to talk about the fact that your parents are aging, and you might have to think about a home for them? I've, countless people have come, and say, they, they'll say to me as their pastor, their pastor, I went home, and I, we've got to talk about this, but no one wants to talk about it. Why not? The reality is if your parents are getting older, you're going to have to do that someday too. And we'd like to think that we're never going to be affected by it. In my mind, if I think if I'm going to get old, it's going to be this beautiful thing, right? And I'm going to sit on the porch and enjoy nice weather and um, I'm going to watch the sunsets and the birds and, you know, I'm not going to hurt all over and it could have, my kids are going to come and, and hang out and pour me lemonade, right? That's, I think that's how it's going to go. Arnie Palmer's, it'll be lemonade in, because I'm that old now, I'm like, sugar, I don't care. Hit me again. (laughs) Bring some chocolate cake. You know, like, at that point, I think that's how it's going to go, but I don't, I think it's going to sneak up on us. Like, the last 10 years have snuck up on you. It wasn't that long ago in my mind, I thought, I am so young, and now I'm thinking I'm so old, and then someone who's 10 years older than I am go like, oh, you're so young. I'm like, I'm not so young. Each decade just, like, sneaks up on you, and then suddenly you have to face death. Well, you're not alone in this fact. It doesn't matter where you stand. There's a guy named Leo uh, Tolstoy. I showed a younger picture because this next one looks like a gnome from the garden. Are you ready? <laughs> I think he is the model for garden gnomes. But Leo Tolstoy wrote uh, War and Peace, and he's very famous in Russia, and he's doing extremely well. And this was his observations. So I've got to use patience here. This is a long quote. He wrote those famous novels, and then uh, he had no religious real background. He kind of pushed it off and said, I don't want to deal with it. And then as he got older, he talks about, we're going to get into these, uh, these moments in his life where he has to think. So this is a long quote, so just bear with me. Uh, So thus I proceeded to live, he's talking about. But five years ago, something very strange, this is in his book, The Confession, began to happen to me. I was overcome by minutes at first of perplexity. And then an arrest of life, that's what he calls it. Like a stopping of life. As though I did not know how to live or what to do. And I lost myself and was dejected. But that passed and I continued to live as before. So can you relate to this on any level? You kind of have this pause once in a while and you're like, okay, I'll just keep moving on. For those of you who are my age, this has happened to you. Then those minutes of perplexity were repeated oftener and oftener. And always in one and the same form, these arrests of life found their expression in ever the same questions. And he goes on to say, like, why or well, or what, like, what's the purpose here? So, what, oh, not quite done. But what he's questioning is not the fact that there's a finality of life. That's terrifying enough for most people. But if you know something is a certain period of time... You can live with that, right? You go to a baseball game and it lasts three hours and the new average is three hours, six minutes. So you can anticipate that that's what's going to last, right? You're not super angry or something when it ends. You know, there's so many innings. You go to a hockey game and hockey games last. How long do hockey games last? Two hours. Two hours and two minutes. That's why you're showing me two and two. Back Chuck Woolery, two and two, be right back. So there's... Um, two hours or something like that, you have an anticipated life, that's what it's going to take. You go on vacation, you know you got to end your vacation at the end of a week, right? Is anyone surprised at the end of a week when you go on vacation? So you think to yourself, how am I going to get the most out of this vacation? Like, how am I going to get the most out of this game? It's not that it's going to end is such a big deal. The bigger question is, like, if it's going to end, am I doing the right things? Like, am I getting the most out of my vacation? And so some are type A, like my mom who has everything scheduled out, or you know, am I going to get the most? And so on a way bigger picture, Tolstoy is asking himself, he kind of rolled through life, and now he's at this moment where he's saying, am I doing the right things? Like, am I getting the most out of, if this is all there is, am I getting the most from it? So he goes on. These questions like why and uh, these pauses in life, he says, quote, the questions seem to be so foolish, simple, and childish. But the moment I touched them and tried to solve them, I became convinced in the first place that they were not childish and foolish, but very important and profound questions in life. And in the second, that no matter how I might I try, I should not be able to answer them. And all this happened, this is him talking, with me when I was on every side surrounded by what was considered to be complete happiness. I had a good, loving, beloved wife, Good children and a large estate which grew and increased without any labor on my part. I was respected by my neighbors and friends more than ever before, was praised by strangers, and without any self-deception, consider myself, my name, famous. With all that, I was not deranged, or mentally unsound. He goes on to say he was strong, he could work in the field. But then it gets all the way down to this. And while in such condition, I arrived at the conclusion that I could not live. And fearing death, I had to use cunning against myself in order that I might not take my life. So at the end of his life, he, act, he goes on to say like he had to hide ropes and things like that in his life. And so all this success, everything is fantastic. Everything from a worldly perspective looks like it lines up, but he's here he is towards the end of his life, ish. And he's going, like, am I doing the right things? Does this, this make sense? Do you know what conclusion he came down to? In his mind, he said, I've got to get rid of rationality. i just got to get rid of it and hold on to faith. And we're going to say, is that actually an answer? This is the tone of our story where we pick up. Uh, you can't see very well, but there's a small town called Nain. And soon afterward, this is the one we had, Jesus went to a town called Nain, And his disciples in a large crowd went along with him as he approached the town gate. A dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. Does your heart go out to that lady? I think so. I mean, it doesn't take much. I'm not a mom, so I can never love like a mom. I see Amy's getting, we're going on vacation, and she sets up like little treat bags and things like this for our kids to have in the car. And I cannot love like a mom. Did I just spoil a surprise? they're not for you. <laughs> right? but, so I can't love like a mom. I just can't. And, and I don't understand. You've seen moms in action. You can see their heartbreak or their kids stub their toes and like tears start to roll down their cheeks. And the dad's like, well, you just deal with it. You know, like the, we can't quite love the exact same way. And that's okay. But I think it doesn't take much to, to think, can you imagine someone you know that has one child? Not the taking away the pain, if you have 13 kids like someone I know and their one child died in a car accident, it does not take away the pain. But if they had just one and now it is gone, does your heart go out? Isn't the point when Nathan appears to David, remember when David in Bathsheba and he tells this story about this poor man who has one lamb? The story isn't quite as convincing if he says this poor man had five lambs and he loved them all very much and all the same, right? It, doesn't, it loses it, right? The rich man has a whole bunch, and the poor man has won, and now that lamb is taken from him, and David is so enraged, he said, this guy has to die. That's how he feels. So now we have this woman. Now, I don't know if you've experienced death, but one of the hardest things with death, I think, is if you feel like you're all alone. She's a widow. So now, does your heart go out a little bit more? It, it, my experiences with death, at least when my grandparents died, uh, Amy and I have known each other since... Uh, 14 and 15, that's when we started dating. 24 and 25, that's when we started dating. So 14 and 15, we started dating. So we've been there the whole life. I was there when her father, uh, grandfather died. Uh, she's there when my grandparents died. I think for all my grandparents, all four, she has known. So she's always been there. Even when we went through personal tragedy together, as she suffered through miscarriages, or our daughter Josephine six months in the womb and a chromosomal disorder said that she is not gonna be born alive. Even though we didn't talk for a long time and we were numb, probably for six months, there was someone in my life that experienced the same thing. Someone you could say, I'm sad, and they can say I'm sad too, they get it. She's got nothing. Here's what's really hard. Whenever you talk about death, is our, we long to, I think, as human beings, care for people. And I think we do care for people to a point, but I think there's a few things that go against us. And one I tried to explain to the kids not super well. One out of 25 children's devotions go well. But I was trying to talk about perspective. And so I think the same thing would be true in your life, right? You have perspective. And so I'm gonna use the example I tried to say with the little kids, they can look, and if a child loses a piece of gum, they're saying big deal. At least it's not like my toy. And then a child loses their toy, and you're in your teens or something, you're like, well, big deal, you can get another doll or you can get another Lego set. Then you get in your 20s, and you've got a teenage daughter or son who's saying, I got cut from the basketball team, and their whole world is imploding. You're like, you know what? Life moves on, doesn't it? You, you understand this when you've lived a little bit. You're like, it's, you can't say that at the time, but you know like this is going to pass. You're not going to be marked forever at a job interview and then say, and then I was cut from the basketball team when I was 14. You know, your life moves on. Then when you're in your 30s, you look at someone in their 20s, and they're worried about, I don't know what. I can't even remember, it's a long time ago. But in the things that bother me now, if I talk to someone who's got a decade on me, would say, you know what, it'll be fine. So it goes on and on and on. So to some degree, it's perspective. In some degree, there's a limited capacity for how much you can care. As a human being, I'll give you an example, and this is maybe too autobiographical. So my mom broke her ankle. So she went to the Lutheran Women's Missionary Society with my daughters. They went to the big convention, 1,000-plus people, had a fantastic time, and they got a loft room. And my mom slipped down the stairs. You can imagine in a hotel if they have a loft. She slipped down the stairs and broke her ankle. So this is like EBGBs kind of stuff. And uh, my daughters are there to try and help her, and screws and plates and all the things that, all this stuff, right? And so as a good son, what do you do? You call your mom and you check on her and you check on her and you say, how are things going? Well, I just called her yesterday. She gave me a call and I was about to go into the house and we were talking about something else and she wanted to know my aunt and uncle and give me this update. And then out of the blue, she goes, yeah, and I'm doing okay. Mom shouldn't listen to this sermon, but what do you think just happened? I totally forgot about it. Like this is two weeks ago. My life has moved on. Has that ever happened to you? Like you really love and you're concerned for someone and you pour into their life and you really care and then your life just kind of moves on, right? So not only is it perspective, but if you collide those two things, what happens if your kid is still bringing up bubblegum lost two weeks later? Your compassion turns into like, who cares, right? That happens, this happened to me. So another autobiographical story. So you're like, we have the least compassionate pastor of all time. I thought about that as our three statements. Step up and, you know, like centered on Christ and make a special place. And I thought the fourth one should be uh, love better than our pastor does. I thought that, but I I didn't want to put that on a sign or anything. So my son comes to me and we made a schedule because it was just the two of us. Amy's at work and the girls are at summer camp. So he comes in, he's like, hey dad, what are we going to do today? Because he wants to do stuff all the time. He's like, hey, we're going to go do something fun. we We should go get ice cream. That's always his ideas. We should go out to eat. We should go to the Mac and go swimming. I'm like, oh, and I've got a job. I've got to work here. So, okay, we'll make a schedule. So I write a schedule, and I even sign the bottom. You know, like, here's our schedule, which his schedule is awesome. It's like, wake up, eat breakfast, play with dog, play, 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 play. eat chicken nuggets, play, 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 do, like, 20 minutes of chores. And, of course, when the chores come, that's, like, the end of the world. Are you kidding me? How can you do that? You don't have to do any of these chores, the whole thing, okay? So his friend, he was doing his chores, and his friend knocks on the door he's like, hey, my friend is at the door. I won't say his name. So my friend's at the door. Can I go play? I said, no, you can't play because you have the chores to do. And he's like, dad, but they're at the door right now. And I said, being a kind and loving dad, I don't care. <sighs> have you ever got, found yourself, it's perspective knowing it, but it's also just you have a limited capacity to care for other people. You can't just keep pouring into people. I, I guarantee you know people that are just like emotional drains. Like whenever you talk to them, it feels like they just pull things from you, and pull and pull, and you get exhausted. You get on the phone call, and he's like, I just can't do it. You see their call, and you're like, I cannot answer it right now because I've given and I've given. I've given what I think is appropriate, but then I'm out. I'm out of team. So why do I bring this all up? Okay, so if you have perspective on someone's life that's 20 years younger than you are, What kind of perspective does God have on your life? Like, what gives you perspective? I think experience. God has lived forever in wisdom, and God is infinitely smarter than we are. It says in the Bible, my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God comes to us very clearly and says, I am so much wiser than you, you shouldn't even think about it. So Job wants an answer. Remember Job, he has all this bad stuff happen in his life, and he wants some answers for God. Does God give him answers? God, he says, God, I'm God, you're not. Deal with it. And so now when you go through your own trouble and you witness your friends who don't seem to care anymore and you're hurting and you think, does God care at all about what's going on in my life? I think this is the beauty of this story. And a large crowd from the town was with her when the Lord saw her his heart went out to her. And he said, "Don't cry." Then he went up and touched the the bier where they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, "Young man, I say to you, get up." The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back his mother. At human beings, we've got a limited capacity to love. My friend had a concussion. And it was really bad, and I talked to him on the phone. He was really struggling with it. He couldn't concentrate and things like that. And about six months later, he was still talking about his concussion. This is my good friend. He may have came in guest preached for us a couple weeks ago. So my good friend is here, and he had a concussion. And he's talking about it. And in my head, this is an honest dialogue. I shouldn't let him listen either. We won't print this one. I'm thinking, will you just give up already on this stupid concussion? And he's like, yeah. it was really been a rough day because, you know, Rachel, that's my wife, She's talking to me and she's like, Justin, you got to get over this concussion. And I'm like, oh, that's terrible. And what was I thinking two minutes earlier? Dude, get over it. You know, I've got my own things to worry about. I've got my own stuff to get on. We've got our own stuff. And there's so many things going on. I've got my own problems and my own hurts and my own pains. You know, I can't keep listening and listening and listening. And you might think that that's how God is. You think of all people who has perfect perspective. God would just look down on you and say, just get over it. I don't care that you lost your job, you'd think God would say, because you'll get another one. You'd think God would just step in and say, you know, I don't care about loss of life, you know, because you have other kids. But Jesus steps into our life and he weeps with us. Does that make any sense? When my little kids would drop, like, a piece of candy in the gutter, I'd never shed a tear for that candy. Like, how can God so infinitely wiser Come down and weep with us when Jesus loses his friend. And, and this is the, the craziest thing. He knows the future. And so when Lazarus, his good friend, so Mary and Martha, their brother, dies, he knows, like, in 10 seconds, Lazarus is going to be raised to life, but what does Jesus do when he comes on the scene? He weeps. Does this make sense? This is what I'm saying. Death is a big deal. And it's a big deal to God, too. And so the beauty of the resurrection, we get to see right here, the, the beauty of the resurrection and why this is so essential for us as Christians is because you find comfort in a God who cares. It's not just academic. And Tolstoy said you've got to get rid of reason and move on to faith, and I, I, that's true, but I think the more you think about the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection, the, the more comfort there is in it. And I'm just going to give you a couple examples. So the people here, they witness this resurrection and he gives him back to his mother and it says, they're all filled with awe and praise God and said, a great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. They witness a resurrection. There's only six in the Bible and Jesus' resurrection. There's only six. So we think like, oh, there's people rising from the dead all the time besides the people who rose from the dead after Jesus appeared. But I mean, like specific raising one person, there's only six. So we're looking at like one-sixth of them. I don't know the percentage of that. 17? 17%. Okay, so it's a limited time. God appears to them and says, I'm going to raise him from the dead. The people witness this resurrection, and they're convinced. They're like, I have now seen it. Now this makes sense that we have this kind of God. And I think that makes sense when you think about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to give you two examples. So um, we talk about women's rights and things like that now. Back then, there was not a lot of women's rights when the Bible was written. And in fact, their their testimony did not mean anything in court. So just imagine this: if you were going to make up a story and say that it was true, would you use only women as the first people to Jesus appeared to when he rose from the grave? Does that make any sense? Unless it's true. I'll give you another one. So let's just talk gods here for a second. I just saw the Wonder Woman trailer. Has anyone seen it? No, I, I meant I, I've heard about the Wonder Woman trailer. <laughs> okay, So the Wonder Woman trailer, uh, there's one funny part in it. And I'll, I'll move that in when we talk about Western religions. So Eastern religions say that we have this God who's everywhere. That's kind of the idea of Eastern religions. But God is not intimate. God doesn't deal with us at all. So God's just kind of way out there and doesn't deal with human beings. That's Eastern idea. Western ideas, when you get to like our uh, things, you've got gods who are very intimate, and uh, but not like all powerful everywhere. So I'll give you an example. Does anyone know Western gods from, like, Roman literature, Greek gods? we got, like, Zeus, or, like, German would be Thor. So those are in the same thing. So this is where Wonder Woman comes in. Wonder Woman is talking to this soldier, and he said, well, who is your, who's your dad? She said, I don't have a dad. Zeus just brought me to life. And he goes, oh, that's neat. So the, but what's the idea? The, the, the history of this Western idea would be that gods would come into earth and have like these trysts and these, they, they, they made mistakes and they had relationships. So then you get guys like Hercules who were half God and half, this is what they believed, okay? So that's Western idea. The Jewish idea is way different. So I'm getting to our point. Jewish idea is way, way different. In the Jewish religion, there's only like one God and you can't even mispronounce his name. So there's some names they won't even pronounce. You weren't allowed to draw or make it, like, you weren't allowed to try and draw a picture of God. That, that You could not do that. So now you're saying, well, why does that matter? When Jesus rose from the dead, thousands of Jewish people became believers in the resurrection. Which means, not only did they just believe in a fact in history, they now started to worship a human being and give him a name. Like, what would convince you to change everything about your religious culture? Like, what would it take for you to go to your mom and dad right now and say, okay, all the things you taught me, all the things we've learned from the Bible, I don't believe them anymore because I found something else. That's essentially what these Jewish people had to do. And why would a thousand people now look at Jesus and say, I'm going to worship a human being who is God incarnate unless it's true? Like, why would you do that? There is no way you would do that. I don't think you have to push rationality out of your life and just say I'm going to believe, I'm not going to think about anything else I think you have to spend time and look at the fact of the resurrection and I think when you look at the fact of the resurrection there's an unbelievable comfort that comes because death hits every single one of us and your heart is hurting those of you who have suffered your heart hurts and the the sad truth is other people don't care they care for a while They don't care forever. They don't send you cards anymore. They don't give you phone calls and ask you how it's going. Two years later, they're not checking up on you. It can feel like I'm the only one who is ever affected. And you think if people are like this, my God must be like that, but that is so not true. Death's a big deal to you and death's a big deal to God. He weeps with you. He mourns with you. But the beautiful thing is he makes it right. And he turns everything upside down. And through his resurrection, which is an absolute fact, he comes to you with real comfort to say, I am the resurrection, I am the life. Even Job, who had no answers. Job is like, God, what's the deal here? What's going on in my life? He does not give him answers. But in the middle, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And as believers, that's the place where you have to stand. Because people are going to fail you. You're going to fail people. But our God who says, I actually rose from the dead, an actual fact I actually bring you comfort, and I actually restore you. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, every one of us is affected by death, and it feels so wonderful to have people gather around us and care for us. The reality is there's, there's a limited capacity for human beings to care, and sometimes we think, like, do you even care? But you do care. Death is a big deal, and so that's why you sent your Son, um, not just to, to hang out in heaven, but to come to this earth to actually live, and to actually die, to actually forgive our sins so that things can be made right and we can have a restored relationship with you. Even as we mourn, your heart goes out to us, but we know you're the only one who can make this right. Amen.